Tonight's talk is Consciousness, Creativity, and the Brain. And um, if you have a golf ball size consciousness, when you read a book, you'll have a golf ball size understanding. When you look out, a golf ball size awareness. And when you wake up in the morning, a golf ball size wakefulness. But if you could expand that consciousness, then you read the book, more understanding. You look out, more awareness. And when you wake up, more wakefulness. It's consciousness. And there's an ocean of pure, vibrant consciousness inside each one of us. It's at the base of all mind and all matter. And it's not the intellectual understanding of this field, but the experiencing of it that does everything. And the final outcome of this growth of consciousness is called enlightenment. Hello and welcome to The Bridge with Flynn Disney. Today I have the pleasure of bringing you a conversation with a very dear old friend of mine and one of the most remarkable people I've had the good fortune to meet, Daniel Ilabaka. Danny is well known in the parkour world for his uncanny ability in movement, his explorative nature and his deep philosophical foundation. It's difficult to understand the significance of Danny's presence in parkour, but let's say that he has walked right up to the edge of possibility and redefined where that line is. He is a Renaissance man, able to express himself in many, many different art forms, from illustration to writing to a number of movement practices. In this way, Daniel is more analogous to Miyamoto Musashi than to someone like Tony Hawk. I've been lucky enough to get to know Daniel over the last years, and I find that with each conversation we have, I'm left with a new perspective to consider. As a devout Christian, Danny's perspective on life is naturally quite different to my own, and it took some time to learn how to converse with him as his whole frame of reference centers around a combination of biblical truths and his own experiences. My ability to communicate with Danny evolved when I stopped trying to be right. And this happened in a distinct moment where I realized that through our communication, my intention had been to assert my atheist, rational perspective as the correct one, to the point where I was no longer listening to what he was saying. In this situation, Danny was making the point that attitude changes everything, that events are influenced by how we experience the world and the way that we express ourselves in a situation, how we bear responsibility for the things that happen to us. Before considering what he was saying, I came up with a counterexample. What about the victims of a mass shooter event? I asked. Their perspective obviously doesn't influence their fate. Catching myself after I finished the sentence, I realized what I had done and promptly apologized. I made no effort to understand what he was saying and simply jumped to the scenario where what he was saying didn't apply. It is in this spirit of humility and self-awareness that I recommend listening to the podcast, although I confess upon listening back to avoiding what I felt afraid of not understanding. In modern culture, we tend to see scientific truth as the only game in town. So when a biblical idea is expressed, we tend to box it into a scientific framework where it obviously doesn't make sense. I would like to address this directly with an essay titled The Selfish Meme. As someone who has explored the depths, I believe Danny has a tremendous amount to offer. 
Hopefully by providing a scientific perspective on the value of religious ideas, more people can engage with this perspective and we can successfully form a bridge. Before this essay, I'm going to speak about how you can support the podcast. The bridge is an entirely self-funded project, and if you wish to support me, you can do so in a number of ways, all of which naturally give something back to you. Number one, through Patreon. I have set up a Patreon account with a number of options. You can gain access to a number of exclusive essays on topics like the relationship between meaning, emotion, and learning, and how to use first principles thinking. I am also offering the research portals from the Exploration Group, which provide a wide range of perspectives on topics like movement, fear, and perception. Number two, the Exploration Group. The Exploration Group is an experiment in the value of ideas and the potential for independent learning. The group takes proven principles and puts them into practice and context, exploring how they can be used to learn, teach, and practice more effectively. The next topic, environmental feedback and learning, will commence mid-May, where we'll explore the principles behind how organisms really learn what we can do with those ideas. Number three, online value-sharing framework. Working online is one of the few viable paths to financial independence as we move into the post-COVID world. I created this framework to help movement practitioners develop a meaningful goal relating to online work and to carve the steps towards it. The framework uses principles taken from psychology, cybernetics, and microeconomics to guide individuals towards self-employment and meaningful work. I would also like to give a shout out to streetmovement.dk for all of your parkour apparel needs. Um, These are some good friends from Denmark who are not sponsoring me, but they've been very kind to me over the years, and I'm a huge fan of their trousers, pants, pantalones. So you can send them some love and uh, they'll be very appreciative. The Selfish Meme In my early 20s, I felt a strong aversion and even ridicule for religious thought. Listening to public intellectuals like Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins, I felt a smug sense of superiority to believers. Through some hard realizations about the limits of my own intelligence, I came to appreciate a more nuanced perspective on religious thought. This essay is a description of the lens through which I understand the potential value of religion, through the lens of the selfish meme. The key to understanding this idea lies in Charles Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection, which I'll outline briefly. When random genetic mutations occur in an organism, there will be a chance that these mutations will influence how well it can survive in an environment. When these random mutations give a competitive advantage, like slightly sharper claws, better camouflage, faster muscles, or sexier plumage, the chance of this organism passing on the mutated gene to the next generation is increased. Over a scale of time beyond what our intuition can appreciate, this process produces every distinct species on the planet, generating the acute diversity of the natural world. Random mutations are not always adaptive in this sense. Some mutations would be decreasing the chances of survival, making it less likely for genetic material to be passed down to the next generation. These traits are described as maladaptive. An adaptive trait in one environment can be maladaptive in another environment. The melanin in skin that makes some of us darker and some lighter is an adaptation to climate, specifically the intensity of the sun 
and the availability of vitamin D. The lack of skin melanin in many Scottish people is evidently maladaptive in sunny sub-Saharan Africa, where the sun is abundant and the pale European skin is quickly burnt. But the same trait is adaptive in frigid northern Europe, where access to vitamin D is sparse and any ray of sun is taken full advantage of. Whilst the adaptiveness of a gene is dependent on the environment, it may be worth noting that some traits can be adaptive in multiple environments. For example, the oldest discovered camel remains were found in the Arctic, suggesting that they were adapted for the deserts of the cold, barren tundra. Nonetheless, placing a camel in the middle of the ocean simply would not be an effective strategy for the propagation of said camel's genetic material. In this way, the adaptiveness, or how well a trait functions, is relative to the context of the environment of the organism. If a trait is adaptive, it will increase the chances of an organism passing down its genetic material, and by the same token, the adaptive mutation will be passed down. Many people don't know this, but the person who coined the term meme was none other than Richard Dawkins, the biologist, and ironically for the points I'm going to make, famous atheist. In his 1976 book, The Selfish Gene, Dawkins wrote, Just as genes propagate themselves in the gene pool by leaping from body to body via sperms or eggs, so memes propagate themselves in the meme pool by leaping from brain to brain. For Dawkins, a meme is a unit of cultural information that is passed down or copied. The root of the word meme is a combination of memema, meaning that which is imitated and gene, the basic unit that encodes our traits. New memes are generated at a higher rate than genes, obviously and particularly in contemporary culture, but the same principle of adaptiveness or usefulness constrains their propagation. For example, if I invented a new color, let's call it blorange, it is unlikely that this concept would serve me in any way as there is nothing blorange to describe. It wouldn't take long for this meme to die out, as it is not useful in any way. Ironically, blorange lives on in the example of a useless word, which I have now used on several occasions. So in this way, the meme has continued to propagate. Now, a question might be forming in your mind. To what extent are memes subject to the same selection pressures as genes? This is the perspective and question put forward by evolutionary theorist Brett Weinstein that the memes which survive the test of time must hold something about them that is adaptive, at least within their natural environments. He asks the question, can something be factually incorrect but metaphorically true, to use his phrase, where belief incurs some adaptive advantage? The first entry-level example that Weinstein gives is porcupines can shoot their spikes. In reality, porcupines cannot actually shoot their spikes, but if you behave as if they can, you are less likely to go near them, thus avoiding the possibility of incurring a nasty injury. A second entry-level example from the book of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Taking this biblical notion of responding to aggression with passivity for a moment, 
we can consider how easily this meme would be adaptive for the wider society. After all, a culture of violence is hardly a sustainable or productive one. At an individual level, it is worth noting how difficult it is to turn the other cheek when we feel wronged, how unintuitive this is for many of us. Further still, we can observe what happens when we put our attention not to revenge, but to love. A tremendous amount of information is encoded within this simple idea of turning the other cheek far more than the words immediately betray. The hiddenness of the value of this meme is evocative of a core principle of this idea, that we act out more than we understand. I do not wish to convince you of a certain fact. My intention is to present you with a lens through which you can appreciate the potential value of religious thought and the hard-won knowledge of our ancestors. Without any further ado, I bring you Daniel Elabaka. So I have some questions that I would like to kind of throw at you. Don't, don't think about these as like an interview. Think about these as things that kind of spark more genuine conversation. Um, I, I see this really as a conversation, not as an, as an interview. So uh, feel free to kind of go wherever. And it's maybe my job to bring us back to um, what I feel is, is a sort of interesting uh, direct, directed space. Cool. So... I'll, uh, I'll start with the, with the first question that I have. So you were quite apprehensive and quite reserved about uh, having this conversation, this kind of public formatted conversation. Yep. And what do you feel gets lost in this particular type of conversation? And do you feel like it's something to do with speaking from the head and not speaking from the heart? Um, well, I don't know. I mean... Yeah, I guess there's just, I think it's a combination of like a part of you wants to be able to convey exactly what makes sense to you, but knowing that sometimes that doesn't always, I find I find that um, authenticity and, and uh, conversation that brings greater breakthrough for a lot of people um, is often more uh, attainable just in face-to-face interaction, do you know what I mean? And I find yeah. that... Um, just the ability to navigate better, I guess. I'm not. All, I'm not all too familiar with the with talking via Zoom or or you know doing interviews and or not. It's not not saying as an interview, but you know doing this sort of kind of communication. I've always just even even actually in the past, like whenever we've done work, I've done workshops in the past. There's been specific times where I've asked like for people not to record the mm. conversations that are being had because it's more for the people that are there present at that time as opposed to open up opening up the conversation for so many more people to kind of have a say even though they're not making the effort yeah. to kind of be in that space i suppose and and it's i don't know i guess it's like um yeah yeah maybe i don't know there's there's multiple layers to it really one of them mm-hmm. i could attempt to try and tackle or, or mention would be just the mistakes or something that you'd probably reflect on later on where you know what i mean and, and 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 contemplate you know was that did i say that right or would you know right. That come out in less willing to make mistakes in this kind of format when you know it's going to be recorded. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I was listening to um, a recent uh, video that was uploaded by Jordan Peterson, Mm. and it was with I can't remember it was a Telegram or some some sort of big whatever they were interviewing him or whatever, and he was just talking about how um, 
how difficult it can be sometimes when you're put into an interview, not an interview situation, but you're put into a setting where you're conversing with someone or you're talking about various things. And it's, you know, you, you know, depending on who you're speaking to, you can end up kind of being very misinterpreted or, or um, it can get confusing and leave that person. Yeah. Completely misunderstood in some respects. So right. I don't know. I, I think, um, one thing could just be a safe, you know, I, I, I like the, a safe place to fall or, a, mm. you know, to be able to. And I think that's actually one of the reasons why I, I have contemplated this talk with you is just because it, yeah, it's a safe place. It feels a safe place to make mistakes, safe place to, right. um, you know, just, just share openly kind of what's uh, on the mind at the time, really. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned this sense of once you kind of describe something in a very specific way, you, you open it up for attack. And that was something that really resonated with me when you, when you said that, when you put this sort of specific boundary around this is what I'm doing or this is what I'm saying, becomes sort of open to misinterpretation. Um, Maybe that's me misinterpreting. Well, no, it's, like, it's like I've always used the analogy of like, um, like if you want to play the piano, right, you've got to be afraid of sounding crap, right, and... You've got to be okay with sounding crap in front of other people, mm. um, and you know, and you're going to make noise. You know, you're not going to sound very good. And often, the the probably the thing that holds a lot of people back in life is they're being afraid to be seen as a failure or seen as making mistakes, or they don't want to make they don't want to interrupt anyone's kind of flow or life. And it's like, but if you're passionate about playing an instrument, you're going to sound crap regardless. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's and I find that you know a very childlike mentality is just being not being very like bothered by what people would think or you know what i mean and and uh and therefore you know kids tend to pick things up a lot quicker than adults in some respects and i think one again one of the those things one of those attributes or one of those things could be that very fact which is they're just not uh they're not afraid to kind of sound rubbish at, at the start and therefore they pick it up a lot quicker so i think yeah i've kind of described it like that i, th I think you know for the years I've been speaking, you know, I, yeah, there's a lot of stuff I look back on now and I wouldn't necessarily agree on, you know, mm -hmm. um, but the, po the point isn't necessarily what I'm saying, but where the heart is postured towards, you know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. the intent and the, and the passion to understand and the passion to um, make sense, not only of what I'm internally picking up on, but um, putting that out there to see the response that I saw, you know, that I get. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, you know, I think verbally processing is is a you know there's verbal processes people have to verbally speak out to you know to process things that are unanswered questions. But and and again, yeah. based on the responses that they're getting, determine the answers that they're you know that appear. In you know? speech, so I don't know, I half think. of thought. Maybe you resonate with this. It's from uh, the Prophet by Khalil Gibran. I don't know if you've ever read this. He's like a Lebanese uh, Lebanese Christian kind of poet, and he said, uh, "In thought, half of speech is lost." Okay. No, I got that the other way around. <laughs> no, go on. In speech, half of thought is lost. So when you speak something out, you, you, you're, you're inevitably losing some some mm. part of the, mm. the kind of greater thing that you maybe. Yeah, well, it's like it's like when I was a kid. Like, don't get me wrong, I love my dad, but there was definitely times where I was like super upset and unable to fully convey what's going on internally. The mm. only word I could come out with is like, "Oh, I hate you, dad." Right? Like, oh. Mm, mm, mm. But it's not, it was never that I hate my dad. It was just like. That was the best way to express what I was feeling, but it was, pu 
purely his response was the determining factor that would either justify what I was feeling or it, or it would cause me to reevaluate where you know what I'm upset about and 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 what the root cause of it is and yeah. this there was always this regardless of what I would say even my mother like regardless of what I would the pressure that I would put them under as a confused teenager mm. there was this uh um relentless relentlessness to see me as my best at all times it's just like and that just kind of that kind of baffled me i guess but that yeah but that that enabled me to determine pretty quickly um that yeah it was able it would help me navigate better the things that i was at that point in time struggling yeah. with do you know what i mean so, i want to i want to bring you back to that that point of um not maybe having the language to express the like the subtleties of how you're feeling so you just sort of blurt out this big like ah oh, this sort of like big frustrated it's kind of the shape of like a negative emotion it's like i hate you but obviously mm-hmm. it's it's more specific than that can you speak about you we've spoken a little bit about uh, language like how we use language and simple language um and the power of using kind of understandable words for, for everyone but you, yeah. you also use quite specific language sometimes that maybe it's sort of biblical language or yeah um, for example uh, you used the word enmity last time we were speaking yeah, it's not a word that I hear I hear used very much. Um, how important do you find it is to have a have this ability to uh, describe how you're feeling? Yeah, I think it's very important. I think that's it's important to point out that like my just my journey into parkour was for that very reason of being misunderstood. Um, knowing that as a young boy, you know. I've got parents that are sharing with me a worldview, but then I've got a world that I go to called school, which is an, in itself is a world, you know, um, and a representation of what we later experience in life. Um, and yeah, just asking questions in that environment and never really getting answers and stuff, but not, not just not getting answers, but finding myself late, you know, quite easily misinterpreted and then put into a category of like, whether I'm being antisocial or, or you know, mm. disrupting the classroom and I'm not. And it was, you know, I've later learned that it's that's purely just because of the passion to understand that that um, you know, that I've reclaimed over my life and stuff. But yeah, mm. I think um, I, yeah, I've often found the most difficult thing is to communicate the internal reality and the internal processing of what you what your eyes are constantly soaking in, um, mm. or what's being you know, pummeled, what we're being pummeled with, you know, mm. and. Um, yeah, and just kind of talking your way through that, I guess. And so, yeah, for me, like parkour was a a natural um, alternative to trying from from trying to speak and realizing that actually, um, yeah, I started to later realize that it took a while, probably about the age of nineteen, I think, when I realized that I could look at movements as a language in itself. Whereas I struggled at school to convey mm-hmm. a lot of things. I could definitely express it in my, in, in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the obstacles around me, I would, I would always interpret as being a manifestation of the things internally going on, like the obstacles inside myself. So looking for ways to overcome it enabled me to be efficient at displaying a worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, almost like a, yeah, like, yeah, disconnected kind of reality kind of worldview that would be glimpsed and seen at times and stuff. Um, But then, yeah, I just kind of came to this realization that efficiency, like it isn't, it isn't, uh, it doesn't bring true satisfaction to just be physically efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but to be able to communicate in a language that everyone can understand. And that was for me when I realized that um, literally just communication, uh, what I, what I, what I had learned from movement, I could try to apply into my, and uh, into the way that I would communicate with other human beings. Mm. Basically it's kind of the same thing. It's like, even with like poets or, or, you know, people that rap or whatever, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. spoken word or whatever. It's like, it's the same as parkour, you know, that's why I've always, often always said parkour is like lots of different things. It's not just, sure. Sure. Yeah. you know, I mean, it's very easy to just look at it and say, Oh, it's a, you know, it's, this is what it is. And that's what this sure. is. And that's what, it, but it's like this, there's definitely something screaming at us that, you know, that we often turn a blind eye to really. Um, and yeah, so I just realised, all right, well, I, the way I've kind of described it was just, again, through my own tangible personal experience based on the things I've, you know, learned growing up. Um, it was just this realisation that in these kind of, in these disconnected moments of doing what other people would consider in, impossible or beyond the mm-hmm. point of yeah. achieve, you know, what's achievable human with the human body and stuff, I, uh, you know, there was definitely a dissatisfaction after a time, you know, I'd always kind of, I'd feel it in the moment, it'd be great. And then I'd end up kind of depleted. That, and that satisfaction came from you communicating something that was internal to yourself through it the came, it language. Came from, it came from a complete disconnectivity to a, a construct that we've uh, adopted uh, based on our framework of what reality is or what we've been told reality is. And so yeah. the movement that I put, the, the places I put my body oftentimes was so um it it was almost beyond that construct it was outside of that construct and it was in those moments Mm -hmm. where you 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 would feel the limitlessness or the Mm -hmm. um yeah the yeah just something else going on but yeah you know whenever i would kind of come down from that place or time would pass it would always be Mm -hmm. the same uh feeling of like not uh, yeah, it's almost like your next fix, right? Like, like what's mm. you know, you know, you've got to get it again, kind of thing or whatever. And but it would never, it would never satisfy. And then that's for me the way I've looked at it. I just interpreted it in this real eureka moment where I was like walking back, went to the cinemas one night just to kind of take my mind off stuff because I was like super depressed about a jump I did previously, and I felt really great about it. And then, and then after a week, I was like, why am I feeling so low? You know what I mean? Right. And so I was, I went to the cinema to watch a film just to kind of take my mind off what I was deeply going through or whatever. And then midway through the movie, it was all about freedom. It was actually Spider-Man. <laughs> I was watching Spider-Man and it was just like, I can't do this. And I just like left the cinema. Um, <laughs> and I just like, well, basically I was just walking. It's about a two hour walk back to my house. Mm. Right where, you know, didn't go with my friend's car, just walked back. And um, yeah, just along that jet, just along that road back, I just kind of had this real, I wouldn't say it was like like the audible word of God or whatever, but it was just this realization that, that I kind of had this voice was like, you were connected to me in that moment, but afterwards you chose to separate yourself from me. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, wow, like, so I, I, I connected that straight away to, to, to God or Jesus. For lack of I, I would like to dump uh, to, to dive way deep into what you've just said, but I want to take a little step back first to give sure. a little bit of, yeah, of yeah, context. It, yeah. So I, I, I want this to be something that's open to a very general audience. And I want to describe Actually, I, I, one of my questions that I have, I believe, is related to what, what you're speaking about. So there's a cat boss 
that you did in Elephant and Castle. Yeah. That was very, very large. And it was mm -hmm. a, a cat from a rail quite high um, that you that you sent. And I'll, I'll, I'll phrase my question and then... Um, uh, and then you can can give some reflections on it. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, you, you, you describe you describe this experience after this uh, this this cat bus. Um, I've heard you describe that before. Yeah, yeah, sure. This moment of yeah, I've definitely, of elation, definitely shared this before. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Moment of elation followed by a kind of um, something of a dip and deep a deep reflection. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, first, I would I'd like you to speak a bit about that process of doing the jump to get a bit of a context for, because to me it seems like something that was truly at the edge of your ability. And I haven't really seen so many people going into th that same space within parkour, mm -hmm. pushing into things that are not only very high up, yeah. but also very, very, very far um, to the point of not being able to maybe su succeed, but doing this safely. So could you speak about the process behind this jump before what happened after? Sure. I mean, again, it, it's... Um it differs for everyone. Obviously, there's a standard now as to what is difficult and what isn't. Whereas back in the days, doing a cartwheel was the most fantastic thing in the world, right? So, um, and it it isn't purely based on the space, the setting, the height that determines the experience. Uh, it's just yeah, again, again, kind of the the incentive and the purpose and reason behind why you're contemplating a certain jump. Um, and for me, it was just this, just this, this dissatisfaction with with life, basically, and realizing that it's got to be something more than what I'm told. This is all there is, and so movement was always this just constant exploration into the parts of the mind. Um, it was never the movement is always the end result of something more profound that was taking place. And so I don't know. I kind of feel like the way I've looked at my movement in parkour, it's always been a scientific kind of, uh, you know cause and effect you know like mm -hmm. i do this what's going to happen da, da, da. and mm -hmm. the more i've kind of moved into my movement over my life i realized that control is not something that is realistic mm. i don't think control is is something you can you can you can you can have control for a, i mean you don't have control of when you live or die that that's out of your own hands mm. let's be honest and i think that just reflects in everything we do um when I asked this question of uh, what is the opposite of fear recently on, on a little Instagram thing, I had quite a few people say control. And this surprised me because to me, control seems very much within the realm of, of fear. You're, you're afraid, so you have to create some kind of sense of, uh, I, I have a, a, a role in, within this or I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in charge, let's say. So in, 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 what day, in what way do you feel that control is not a, a real thing? Sorry, or so something of an illusion? It, how do you feel that control is uh, maybe a bit of an illusion? Um, yeah, because you can't you can't beat around an experience. You can't be, let's beat around a bush. You can't you know you you can and you and it can work for a while, but the reality is that life always presents jumps that you don't have. You don't have assurance. You don't have that assurance. You don't have that. Uh, you know, all you have is what is the feeling and, and the question of whether you know you're in the right place in that moment in time. Mm. Um, yeah, and so I, I kind of feel like, yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's sort of one of the unique things about parkour is that you'll always find 
something beyond what you can currently do. It's like you can you can count your steps of how, like you know you see people often counting the steps yeah. of like a distance of a gap before they know they can do it. For me, that like takes away great a great opportunity for learning in that space, mm. and it's the ability to adapt then as right. opposed to um, kind of tick off all the boxes of like I've done this, I've done this check, I did it, yeah. okay, I know that. Da, da, da. It's like that's great, and you then you can do the jump and you can land it, and and that's a method that a lot of people tend to you know use, and people would mm-hmm. swear by. Um, but I've I, I I just know that I think a lot of my a lot of my kind of approach to stuff like that, and and the reason why I look at control as as an illusionary kind of thing is that um, I, I can only give an example. There was always a tree at the top of my the back of my garden that I would climb up and I would always like stand there and have this feeling I wanted to jump out to the tree below I saw this branch about 10 10 foot above the ground and I was always like really curious like I I, I I wasn't afraid to jump but for some reason I couldn't jump Um, and then later years I've often when I've done workshops and stuff I've given people two, two analogies and it's one is you know you're presented with these opportunities and you're presented with, you know, this opportunity and, and the answer usually is, no, of course I wouldn't jump because it sounds ridiculous. And I was like, then I, then I create another scenario and it's like, okay, I'm put your family, they're about to get killed and you don't even, you know that this is the, you know for a fact this is the only quickest way to reach them and there's, you know, there's a chance you could kind of perish in the pursuit of it. There's no other alternatives, you know, would you jump? And, and it's often the answer, it's like, well, yeah, no question. Um, so it's like, well, what's on the other side of that jump? It's like, well, you know, if your heart, if it's, if, if your heart, if what's on the other side, your heart can be fully devoted and connected to then, then, um, yeah, like f- there's no fear in that. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, I don't know, just, yeah, I'd, how that, how that, you know, speaking of the topic being bridging the gap and stuff or whatever, it's like how to further delve into that. I don't think I've actually given it much thought, hence why this, the answer to this question is somewhat obscure, broken up, mm. or I've not really, yeah. I've not really, I, I have sat given in, it I'm not, some, not some sat thought. in the woods long um, enough to, to... I'll, I'll throw this question at you, because this, this fascinated me once we spoke about uh, this sort of physiological theory of, of emotion, that a lot of our feelings, a lot of our emotions are coming either from our, from our organs, from our gut, from our viscera, or they're coming from our heart. And when we're in a kind of calm, but maybe excited, but sort of regulated state, we're going to feel a very clear sense of maybe our heart beating something like this. But when we're in a very fearful state, that signal from the heart quietens down, or maybe even shuts down, and we get this clear sense from the gut. And so we were speaking once, and I was amazed by how clearly you described this sort of relationship between the heart and the gut before you've had any kind of like a, of a, of a, of a scientific idea, let's say, yeah. uh, or, the, or the, it was a science of your own experience. But could you speak about how you see this relationship between the, the, the heart, the signals of the heart, maybe what this kind of leads to or means and the signals of the gut and maybe what, what this, what this implies? Yeah, I think we, I think I'll start just by saying, I think we, we misunderstand the role of fear um, I think because we don't understand it, we we try to gain control. I think that's one mm. of the things. It's like because we don't fully understand what our heart is, 
you know, physical, you know, physically happening within our heart. It's like we often think, yeah, it's because I've got a lack of control or whatever. But I've, I've often, well, I, I've come to the conclusion that you're whenever I, because I'm not saying I don't feel fear. Of course I do. Um, but for me, it's like I, my relationship with fear over over the experience over over time of again coming back to the jump um when i first looked at that jump i i i, I looked at it and i saw the one percent chance of making it and it was and and it, and there was the real curiosity of that one percent against the 99 right of, mm. of failing or hurting myself or whatever maybe not death but like you know you know breaking a shin or i don't know whatever um and it was just like you know that one percent was always the curious thing, right? The the impossible one percent kind of thing that because again it's yeah anyway. So I uh, I felt you know this kind of rush over me, and I was just like I've experienced this before, and it didn't feel right. So I decided to disconnect and walk off um, from the group, and I, I I just took my mind off it entirely. I wasn't specifically trying to forget. I just I knew I just knew I had to leave that space. So I went and played for like an hour and stuff, and then by myself and then eventually found myself back at that same spot um except for this time when i when i looked at the ledge when i looked at the jump i didn't feel anything um and i'd not felt that before and mm. and so i was curious about about well what will happen if i jump with not feeling nothing yes. uh, and and yeah that's when i did, i decided to uh, to jump and to my amazement through that test it was like nothing happened kind of thing you know and right um but so yeah, it was think, in that nothing space that you felt maybe more. Yeah, yeah. Well, more. that's that's what I, was, I guess I was referring to earlier on. That after the cinema and stuff, I kind of went for a mm. walk. It was kind of like I was connected in that moment and then somewhat disconnected afterwards. But um, yeah, I don't know. For me, fear is your. I would say fear is your heart's way of telling you to 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 really ponder your reason for jumping or doing what you're doing. I think it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's actually your. It plays to your advantage. I, I don't know when I've when, if I'm feeling fear towards something. It's an opportunity to reflect on, like how I've postured myself up until this moment. Um, you know the integrity of my lifestyle, uh, the the little decisions that uh, equate so much more. You know, you know when we see someone fall or fail or do something, that's the end result of something early on. And so for me, whenever I've felt fear in something, I, I immediately have learned to identify it as, as being, as questioning my motive, right? What am I, yeah. am I, I'm falling into the perspective of trying to control what, you know what I mean? Or, or yeah. I, maybe I'm putting it on a pedestal and saying that is. And when you say earlier on, you mean maybe much earlier on, not just in the takeoff, but maybe in the, the, the whole attitude of practicing or, yeah, yeah. or moving or the spirit of definitely yeah not just within the movement but a lot lot further before that yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah mm. cool man super interesting <laughs> um to, to jump back into the 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 gut because this is something i was thinking about is this yes there's a sort of sense of the heart is beating maybe i can follow the heart and we're speaking about this um feeling of being courageous i think is the word of uh Kind of maybe you have this beating heart, but you're able to move forwards, kind of regardless of this, or be guided by this. And then on the other side, maybe you have this sort of uh, strong kind of contraction feeling from the from the gut. But then there's also this other space where you just sort of feel almost neutral. And I've experienced all all three of these, um, and I would say the the space that I've explored the least 
is jumping when I feel this contraction in the gut. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I did a, a lache, so a swing from one bar to another, but like trying to catch it with swing to continue moving. Completely missed my hands, fell flat onto my stomach, bounced off the floor by about an inch. Totally fine. But for a week after this, I got this like uh, like Jimi Hendrix feedback in my stomach. It was just this like wow, kind of like sense of uh, whenever I saw something that was a little bit, let's say, anxiety provoking. It, it, whether it was like a kid uh, in a class running by me a little bit quickly or, or a car zooming by, something like this, I'd get this kind of huge kind of feeling from my gut, this visceral feedback. Mm-hmm. But uh, later this, it was the same day actually that I, that I, that I felt. Uh, we did some night missions so we climbed up onto some rooftops and there was a jump that was maybe four foot, but very, very, very high and a very, very small distance across. And so I stood at the edge and my stomach was just going completely crazy. Uh, and I could feel this really intense contraction, I guess is the way to describe it. Anytime I, I stood with my toes on the edge of the wall and I could not make myself do this small jump that I, I felt I would have been able to do had I not been experiencing this, this signal. Have you experienced this sort of thing? Have you moved within this space of, of, of feeling this sort of resistance from the gut? Yeah, I mean, they often describe it as a good feeling, don't they? I've, I've, mm. I've you know, done a lot of research into a lot of interesting kind of mm. beliefs on how, you know, your stomach has, you know, the way that the brain has various cells, the stomach lining or whatever, or something within your intestine or something has the similar, whatever, connect, connective tissue that the yeah, brain has. Yeah, similar structure, yeah. Um, in all I don't really know all too much about that to... to give my impression all I, all I all I know from that is just what I hear scripturally which is that mm-hmm. uh, the, the stomach to some degree is very much rooted and connected to a almost like a decaying body that craves and longs for things that are contrary to what the spirit longs for um, and yeah just just from what I've seen in the scripture about this kind of uh, what was it? I think it's Paul that says, "I beat my body and make it my slave." It's like, mm. you know, it's it's like it's not. There's you. It says the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Right? Again, there's another mm. verse of scripture. It's like there's this, you know, and learning to kind of this instrument has this fail safe to always want various things or lust for various things or crave that various things or, and so yeah, that's my only knowledge of stomach related stuff. I just know that yeah, there's definitely a disconnect from the heart to the stomach in relation to. Yeah, I don't know. I can, I can definitely. I don't know. Have I ever felt that kind of? I don't think I've ever felt that churning mm. in my stomach. Yeah, so I, I'm not too sure I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a huge thing that um, changes one person's experience from another. I've, I've had various people that I've worked with who have this immense, yeah, contraction feedback from from the stomach, even when doing when spending a small amount of time in the air, yeah. particularly when maybe perceiving a bit of chaos. A bit, a bit of, of kind of uh, chaos, chaos, something that can't be predicted. Yeah, interesting. And that's something I'd also like to to, to speak to you about. Um, so we we had a experience with the uh, with the giant around the bar, where um, where Danny was helping me or giving me some some advice for entering this this space where swing all the way around the bar. 
I knew the technique was there. I knew the motion was there. Very familiar with the with the the physics of it. And for me, the the thing that was missing was a sort of willingness to go into this um, kind of unknown space. And your advice here, or your your kind of counsel here, was to maybe you can phrase this, um, but to place my trust in the in the kind of ninth or in the kind of one percent that it's going to work. And so when I went for it, when I went for the Giants and I kicked and I got all the way around the bar and then landed back on my feet, I was completely overwhelmed with emotion. So I don't know if you remember, but I, I can't remember if I started, I can't remember if I cried, if I physically cried, but I definitely was, was very, very close to this point. Maybe my, like, my ego took over and I suppressed that, but definitely in this space, a very, very emotional moment. And um, this... How important do you see it is to kind of push into this space? And maybe you can think about that question differently, but how, how uh, um, do you feel that we should be orientating more towards these unknowns, this sort of, uh, this kind of putting, putting our trust in the small chance that something is going to work? Or how do you relate that to, um, to practice? Yeah, I think, again, it's just the posture of your heart. I think if you seek to understand and you seek to know... Um, you know, that's, I don't know, it's like, it's maybe the difference between when we reach a certain age, right? As kids often are just so, I don't know, determined to know and to explore and to understand and, I don't know. Um, yeah, I've often, yeah, I mean, I remember whenever I've seen videos of you and stuff, I'm often reminded of that time, but at the same time, mm. I've always had that question of like, like how is your approach to it these days have you are you still attempting the giants like since because i know that you you said you had like any i don't know if it was a bail or something that you'd experienced mm. or whatever but um yeah i don't know man i think yeah it's i'm trying to attack the question but this is exactly as i've described in yes. in our in our in our mm. pre-call or pre-chat which is just yeah I also want to open myself up yeah, in, yeah. in the sense of I'm willing to be vulnerable in this space. So if you do have something that is sort of specific to me, I'm, I'm happy to use this space to to show that. And that's sort of something I wanted to speak about was the, yeah. um, I guess, these sort of different ways of, of, of communicating in, in a sense. I'm not sure how clear that is, but... Mm. Um, but yeah, so feel free to to say whatever is in in the heart, and we can we can figure it out. I I just know that um, yeah, there's definitely again, it's just your perception, isn't it? Really, I think um, Paul. There's I'm often reminded of Paul when I think of this sort of thing. Or where does why does it come to my mind? This is a question. Like why does this come to my mind in relation to what you've shared and stuff? Which is that like Paul says, I've learned to become content with having a lot and very little. So it's like you know, I think part of our journey in in exploring movement that we've ne- that's on you know we're unsure of or whatever it might be is this seeing it as this really mammoth ch- challenge or the, you know you know on the other side of that there's there's you know hope you know is the understanding of a various movement and that can bring all sorts of emotions and stuff like that. I've I've often found that like I can't depend on those emotions or those feelings or whatever because it's like yeah like. A cartwheel 
like I was super excited when I learned that and then it became normality right and it became this you know thing um and so there's always just been for me like uh you know whether I, I do the movement that I see in my mind or I don't I'm still content with you know and thus I think that mindset or that approach to things has, has, has actually freed me up to experiencing those things more so mm. you know the unfamiliar places or the unfamiliar angles or body positions or whatever um because it's like I don't know I feel like more of my pursuit rather than specific movements has been more on just the just the yeah the adaptability to I can put I, I know that I have a choice to put myself in this situation mm. but I also embrace that the outcome might not be what I what you know what I mean I, I feel should happen and again mm. that goes back to the talk of control is like I didn't mm. I've let, learned to let go of the idea of control um, and I've often found that my ability to adapt to the things that I put my the situations I put myself in is most of the time the determining factor as to as to the outcome you know being what you would want it to be I suppose mm -hmm. um yeah, like, and that's, you know, it's often, uh, yeah, I often kind of just look at all movement that way, you know what I mean, like, even if it's like smacking my shin and stuff, or, it's like, it, it's a lot easier to, to, <clears throat> to embrace knowing that, even though I can't, on the surface level of my mind, say, I chose that shin bash, it's like, I know deep down that it's like, that's the sort of, that's the, that's the path I'm choosing, really, mm -hmm. um, how to how to further explore that i'm not entirely sure mm -hmm. because i know that we're all very complex human beings and um again that would require sitting in the forest for <laughs> a couple of weeks or whatever, years. Or, yeah. yeah yeah but then again it would also require the passion to to, to further want to explore those things i've found sure. more in recent years i've i've got less of a desire than than i had um mm -hmm. in the past to to explore in that way so yeah yeah right so there's a question which again i feel might be relevant here i see many practitioners at the moment moving from the outside so kind of thinking about what they want to do as a technique or as a movement or the way that something looks but i i feel <clears throat> but i feel that you and maybe phil doyle and some others quite a long time ago were moving from something more internal whether this was a kind of curiosity towards a feeling or a kind of internal logic. Um, and, and, and I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts on this. What was sort of guiding you? Uh, maybe in the earlier days, because you, it seemed like you made a lot of progress within the physical space. And what I would like to, the, 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 the gap that I would like to bridge here is a space between uh, kind of matter and meaning, we could say. So kind of the, the, the physical and then also the um, experiential. So what were you maybe looking for in that time or what was kind of guiding your uh, your progression, let's say? Um, I mean, and you mentioned Phil in, in respect to that. I think Phil would agree that like there was just a a greater freedom within the communal interaction that that enabled uh, more complex movement to be accessed. I think you would also agree that 
he can't claim to having mastered a specific movement or be responsible for it. It's more, there was a real awareness that it was a collective experience as opposed to, um, the movement was never really the focus. It was, that was the excuse to interact, but something more profound was going on in just the human connectivity, really. Um, back in the early days, I guess, like, you know, there wasn't, you know, all too many people exploring reality in that same, in the, in that way, really. And so it was quite an amazing feeling to be around like-minded people and, and, yeah, to just be kind of exploring that space together. And I'd often remember times where you would, you wouldn't even be communicating physically like with words with, with, uh, people that you were with, um, but you could, you could literally determine what they were doing before they'd even, you know what I mean? Like the moment they stepped up to the space, you could kind of pre-see kind of what they were doing, you know, pre-see. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so there's definitely, there's definitely, um, I think that's, that's definitely, uh, and I, I, I can't speak for the, the younger generation these days, or I, I mean, I can sort of relate to what you're saying, but I also just don't know the mind of a lot of the, a lot of the younger guys and, and how they perceive it, you know, um, but I definitely can say that it's often, and this is just based on my reflection of other, other sports and other activities that often founding people within the sport or, or people that are kind of experiencing the movement closer to its original explosion of introduction into the world often um, have a, yeah, a, uh, I don't know. I don't know, there's something else that goes on there uh, that, that, again, just based on what I've seen in, in other sports, uh doesn't get reflected all too much i mean i don't know that isn't to say there aren't people out there that are have been practicing for five years and 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 are doing it like it's new you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. i just i just know that if let's put it this way if if parkour was something that i was presented with now as a young teen i probably wouldn't be interested in 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 doing it and that's just purely because of of how it's how it's uh, told to me what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. And do you think it's big because it's kind of more clearly mapped? Like this is what this is. Yeah, and that, and and I don't see freedom in that. Basically, I don't see. Mm. Yeah, I don't see freedom in that. And uh, you know, there's a reason why I didn't like football or I didn't like the the mm-hmm. sports of school. You know, for me, mm-hmm. parkour was an, was a it was it was undefined. If I could say, or it was, you know, it didn't belong to anyone, you know. Yeah, same here. Um, and so you could kind of you could explore that world without, you know. If, if for example, I've always said if I if someone came up to me, and like, like when I when I thought I was amazing when I first learned a cartwheel, it felt it felt amazing, right? But it's like you know, it, I don't know if that was seen as like a standard like very basic movement. It's, it's just super off button. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I um, yeah, I, I often remember the time when like double backs was was stuff I was exploring, <laughs> and for me it was it was also just another rotation over, right? Like, um, but it was also the time of the boom of the double back being a thing. You know what I mean? Um, that everyone was exploring more, and uh, 
you know, there was this real emphasis on it being something more than the the the, the single back somersault. Um, mm. When if you actually break it down, it, it's an extra rotation, right? So it's kind of. But then, yeah. So I don't know. It, it, there was almost like a an introduction of a of a new of a different type of mindset towards the yeah. practice that started to shape the yeah the broader perspective on more kind of category driven almost like this is a move at this skill level and this is a different skill level whereas you're saying you were experiencing this more at a kind of physics level of it's just it's just another thing it's not as distinct it's not as um in a sense uh in a sense special yeah so i think true life is something you can you can experience but you can't you can't it's not something you can grasp um and take a hold of right you, yeah. you, have, you have to be actively willing to participate in the pursuit of it but it's mm. not something you can just grab and take a hold of and say this is what it yeah. is and i think that um yeah for me i think i think for us i say for i don't know if i'm speaking on behalf of the other guys and stuff but it was just very experiential it wasn't it wasn't like mm-hmm. do you know what i mean categorized as, as maybe you've described it or whatever but mm-hmm. it was just um we just happened to be in the right place at the right time to experience something. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You spoke once about fellowship. There's this idea of uh, being, say, coherent within a group. And you kind of just spoke about this, this, this feeling of being with a bunch of other people, being with a group of other people, but feeling this unity of mind and body and, in, and intention, maybe specifically. And this, obviously, more and more at the moment with COVID is something that we're not getting so much time to, to experience. Most of us are relatively isolated. H- how important do you see this state of kind of uh, community and um, being around other people, being unified with other people? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, community is essential. Like, don't get me wrong. I think anyone can agree with, with, with that we're, you know, we're, we are made to kind of do life with one another um I, I wouldn't really say that i can identify with the parkour community as a as a as a um as a as a, a people i fellowship with um definitely people i experienced and brushed up against and 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 definitely you know there's a lot of friends and a lot of people that i've uh, you know dear to my heart through those years and stuff um but i've always had a i've always had a more deeper sense of fellowship just through people that are not just questionative i mean i think yeah questionative is is definitely a key part of it but also just people that are i don't know how to describe it without sounding like i'm fully offending anyone <laughs> but like yeah just just christian fellowship basically um okay right i if any christian let's put let's start by saying if any christian comes up to you and says i get the full you know the full thing yeah. they're, they're not telling the truth because the reality is although i believe in jesus i don't fully get it <laughs> do you know what i mean uh, i don't mm. i don't even though i can even though the depth of my whoa even though the the depth of my being can say yes to the to the cross, I still don't fully get. 
on my surface, I don't, I don't get it. Um, but I definitely can say that there is a depth to explore in the scripture with other people who are very curious about the person of Jesus and what he represented that, that is that parkour depth doesn't come anywhere near close to. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, there's, you know, because we're really only talking about physical movement, right? But what moves a person is it, it goes beyond the the community of parkour, um, and like I'm all for connecting, you know, develop, you know, having those discussions. Do you know what I mean? Um, and with with people in the parkour community, um, but I wouldn't say that my sense of fellowship comes from that specific community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, because there's a deeper thing that is moving you before you're physically moving. It's it's a key component. Don't get present. me wrong. I think movement is a very key component that is necessary in fellowship. But I don't. But what think... comes before the movement? Huh? This may be the issue. What What happens before you're physically moving? Is that maybe the the thing you're referring to? Uh, well, it's what 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 it's 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 it's. it's yeah, just the it's where you where you choose to explore. Uh, you know, I think I don't know. It's not progression for me to just uh, movement comes hand in hand with your spiritual life experience, but it doesn't. It's not where the source of the answers are. I think it's a, definitely a tool um, that can help you navigate and various questions that you have. And um, but there's 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 more depth to to our own again I, I'm, I'm speaking disconnected from my own heart knowing that there's depths to my heart that I don't understand mm. um, and I'm more curious to explore that than I am you know again movement has already given me like what I asked of it basically um, and that isn't to say that I'm not I'm no longer involved in movement mm. um I'm in a place, I'm in a place in my life right now where I have questions that need to be answered before I can move. But that sounds crazy because I've always been someone who, like, even if I fell, I, I practiced not to meditate on the or, or or allow my mind to fall behind on what just happened, but be in a constant state of flow and movement. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I think uh, I'm in a, I'm in a new I'm in a new realm of learning and that's not that's, that can maybe come across like I'm, I'm in a new playground that's what it feels like um, mm-hmm. and yeah I don't know maybe I'm almost speaking to myself now maybe movement is a part of that uh, mm-hmm. way to navigate these questions that I have again but anyway I, yeah I don't, I'm losing my train of thought I don't know where that's I'm cool, going that's cool. I'm saying. I know it's, it's obviously uh, not enough to just do parkour or one version of parkour or just put those values into into one area because life happens and you need to you need to adapt uh, so it's, it seems like a healthy thing to move away from movement if that's what you need to do I think it's like it's a, it's a sadness really as well because it's like um, you don't really want to be alone in your own thoughts on how to approach mm. life so it's much easier to, to embrace the way everyone views life because you don't want to be alone in your own head. <laughs> sure. And, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 
did you you said you were you asked a question of movement there was something that you were looking for yeah can you speak to what that question was that you asked or what the thing was that you were looking for you mean when i said i've got the answers for movement and stuff no you, you said um you were approaching movement with a with a question of of uh trying to learn something from it or trying to use it as a tool yeah so to what end were you using the tool yeah so the, again the tool was was just to try and make sense because it, there's just this in, this this feeling within my heart that there's there's definitely got to be more to what I'm physically seeing that's going on mm. um even knowing like yeah just your emotions are triggered by things that could have happened earlier on it's like there's so much more complexity that we we we're so uh dependent on what we see physically that we make our existence based on what we what we see um, and you mean physically as in with from our sense of sight yeah our sense of sight yeah, yeah. exactly um however from my own scientific research and, and exploration i can definitely say that there is proof of something more profound going on in what we don't see that is more real than what we do <laughs> and mm. and the pursuit of that space um not only brings yourself into a uh i don't know it brings yourself into a it, not only does it usher you into a world of constant growth um but it also has the potential to uh, change the physical environment you currently experience. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think there was a talk. I think I was listening to a, a talk about uh, what was it? Um, it was the KGB. Some guy talking about the KGB to this American. Yeah, audience. I know this one. I think, yeah, and he was talking about how when society no longer believes in God and puts its belief in numbers it's been proven that society collapses uh, completely. And it's and he was pointing out that this belief in something you cannot see actually um, helps us sustain a really healthy kind of environment, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. now we're moving towards... So, so I relate this to what you were saying earlier about the practice of parkour becoming more category focus in a sense or they're becoming some elements of this and is this the same origin point kind of bleeding into other areas where you're less perhaps working towards something greater and more focused on what is immediately in front of you that you can grasp yeah that's interesting because i was listening i was reading last night from um jonah uh jonah and the whale a lot of people know about that one but what i thought was really fascinating was that like i mean for anyone listening you know feel free to read the story there's so much depth to it that I was like I had learned last night that I'd never knew before um, but it was just really interesting that I, one thing that really struck out with me is like he went to this he went to Nineveh and he preached that you know in 40 days or so many days this place is going to be destroyed um, and the people listened and then it, that news got all the way to the king and then the king said to everyone alright for three days we're going to do nothing but we're going to fast we're going to he literally you know stripped down and like just sat in the dust for like three days straight and then there was no there was, i mean obviously there's no real proof of saying well 
how do you know if that played a part in you know you're basically putting your faith in something you can't prove mm. but it was just interesting because like they everyone collectively meditated on the one thing enough that you know it it um you could even if you took that scientifically it recentered everyone's perspective that there was a there was a uh, there was a collective oneness in in the way in whereas you know life can be so busy everyone just focuses on what they're doing and da, 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 before you know it you know it's like mm-hmm. whatever but like and the city was not destroyed it wasn't destroyed yeah um again it's based on faith and you know sure yeah, yeah. You know. but but yes. again the fascinating part for me isn't oh wow it wasn't destroyed it was like it was just like oh well what would happen if we collectively decided okay we're going to stop and we're going to just think about this for a minute yeah. you know what i mean and um yeah i don't know i think i feel i'm more fascinated by that than i am by just the perpetuate you know the way the way things are just constantly unfolding and happening then mm-hmm. that are predictable you know it's like um more curious as to what would happen if we took a moment and stopped and reflected on things you know yeah. curiosity about what could be almost more than what is yeah yeah well what is inevitably kind of you know projecting itself and and mm. uh, it wasn't easy to depict where parker was going from day one to be honest um yeah and I don't know whether that's that, that that's not I wouldn't say that's a biblical kind of perspective on things, but it mm-hmm. and it just comes from my experience of being in the inline skate world before yeah. coming into parkour is that okay. I saw the but I was in the I was almost like the tail end of like the boom of inline skating. And, you know, you know, people were categorized and you know, there was specific styles and mm-hmm. your free running your parkour, like all that stuff. Yeah. So when I when I kinda came into parkour and I heard that you know, I started hearing a lot of that stuff starting to manifest. It was just like, yeah, like a lot of the stuff I see these days, it, all that stuff was predictable like years ago. And also something I didn't really get all too upset about or get involved in. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned there, well, I, I kind of led you to mentioning this idea of, of going towards something better in the future sort of movement towards something that could be. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested by how central that idea is to your process. Uh, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. There is a conversation between Jordan Peterson, who you mentioned earlier, who's a sort of... Um, sort of a... a He's a, a psychologist and he's understanding biblical literature in the context of kind of psychology, psychotherapy, psychoanalytics. So there's a conversation between him and another um, psychologist, let's say, called Ian McGillchrist. And he's a guy who wrote a book called The Master and His Emissary, which is about the two different hemispheres of the brain having slightly different roles so they both do they both do everything that the brain does, so they both process information, but they both process information in slightly different ways. And within this conversation, not to go too, too deep into this, but within this conversation between these two psychologists, they speak about what their notion of God is. And I'll, I'll, I'll float by what, McGillchrist said to you and I, and I would love to hear your perspective on this so I think they're coming from a kind of 
almost like uh, what, how to describe this? Maybe not not believing in the like the, in the literal truth of the Bible, but trying to extract a like a meaning from it that can yep. be maybe applied to like to, to to culture or to psychology or something like this. And so, so McGill Christ describes God as the process of becoming. Which, if you think about um, most things left to their own devices, go towards falling apart over time. Right? Mm-hmm. You get a rock. Or even a thing, you know, if you get a rock, let's say, and you leave it by itself, it's going to crumble and become pebbles and it's going to dissipate. If you get a, let's say, a frog, looks quite similar to a rock sometimes, um, but it will actually kind of become more and more. Um, it will go from a tadpole into a whatever's between a tadpole and, and a frog and then becomes a frog and it can heal from injury and stuff like this. It's just an example, though. Um, so there's a sort of movement away from um, disorder that he describes as this very like significant thing. So I'm just curious how much you, or if at all you relate to this idea of on a kind of grander scale, moving away from disorder, moving towards something better, something more sort of sustainable. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it all comes down to the framework of like, and the construct of your mind. Like for me, whenever I process, I process, not uh, again you know when i just describe god kind of thing it's like there's multiple persons to to god as you know as it says mm. in the trinity and stuff um being the holy spirit the which intercedes and the son and the father or whatever <clears throat> um i just find i uh, just listening to what you're saying and maybe again you could be saying one thing which you're trying to explore and you could be speaking, speaking a language that I don't understand, but I'm obviously picking up on something and I'm only able to share what I'm hearing as a response to what you're saying. And what I am hearing is like, and where it bears relevance, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I'll say it. <laughs> it's uh, the way I've heard it described. It was like in the moment, the moment that Adam ate from the tree, it was no longer, we it was i it was like self um whereas like i don't know um i I don't know how that translates in what you're saying uh yeah i just i just haven't been able to i don't know yeah i'm it's 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 a difficult difficult thing to explore i'm not entirely sure how to respond to it I gave I gave it a go, but you gave it a go. That's what we're all. That's what we're all about. <laughs> um, let me take a, a moment. To I collect. also didn't accurately describe what it is that I heard that made sense. I think it was in. Um, see, you want to C.S. Lewis's book? Um, let me just have a look while you're pondering that. It was definitely the problem with pain. C.S. Lewis. Hmm. It's a very interesting book, and the way that he describes Adam in the garden. I mean, for anyone listening, uh, if you want to uh, get any more insight into my what my response would be on that, I would say, yeah, definitely C.S. Lewis, The Problem with Pain. Um, and the way that he describes Adam in the garden and what took place during the time that, uh, from the fall of man, um, being this being that walked in the garden with a creator to being... Um, you know yeah yeah so there's there's definitely something i feel in that that's able Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. be 
useful to some people, maybe. I don't know. Right. This brings us quite nicely onto the next question that I wrote down. So there's been a lot of emphasis on self-actualization, something like the process of becoming what you could be. So you hear people talking a lot about like self-improvement and, and this sort of thing. That's kind of what we're describing as self-actualization. Mm-hmm. And then the, the question that I have is related to this because it's what lies beyond that process of self-actualization. Once you're able to, obviously no one can become all they, all they could be, but once well, you're able that's, to... That's the question, isn't Well, it? perhaps, maybe that's another conversation. Um, but let's say once you're able to recognize quite a full version of yourself, you become competent in, in multiple domains. You're self-actualized enough. My, my question is, then what? And, and yeah. First thing I'd say to that is, how do you get even... How are you able to trust your own sense of self? Like, if, if all you are is a being that's been born and you're then receiving information and through that you're making up you're, be, you're then becoming aware of self right but you're being aware of self how is it how are we able to properly determine whether whether that's even the right thing to have right and i think that's why i put a lot of my faith in jesus because i'm actually just, i don't trust in my own self i don't trust in what i think um and i only i'm, I'm literally going well i don't I don't know. I, I know for a fact that I've made, tried to make sense of things, but I also don't know to the degree what I'm under influence of, of something that might not even be me. However, when I look at Jesus, the depth of my being that I don't understand even to this day says yes to that. But I also choose to put my faith in what he says about me. And that's where I rest, like in my assurance of, of like in my approach to life is like, it has to begin with that before I can even begin to explore uh, the many different avenues of the branches of the mind and stuff. Um, identities is, is for me uh, a key component before anyone. I don't think anyone should really start building a tower unless they're really sure of the ground that, that they're building on, right? And so for me, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't trust myself, um, but I trust him. And... And I trust what he says about me. And for me, that's taking part in being a created being. It's like, I'm, I'm, I, that's me embracing that reality is that I'm allowing this, tr- you know, this truth of who I am to be spoken over, you know, what I believe is truth to be spoken over me. And I'm like, I'm, I'm soaking that in. And for me, the more you, you go, I mean, I don't fully get it. I, I know that even I don't fully get myself, but I know I, I, put, uh, I have a, confidence and a a relaxedness and knowing that I am fully understood um, and so yeah I don't know it's like each each time I would just you could describe it as like plugging in and, and learning in learning more about the reality of, of who he is and the way that he postured himself while he walked on earth I'm I'm able to yeah, it has to be something you want to partake in, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot there. Yeah. Um, let me, uh, I'll collect for a moment. Yeah. 
this is something I think would be interesting to touch on. It's something I've noticed in your behavior is what you've just described is a, you could say, skepticism of what your intuitions are telling you. Does that resonate with what you... There's a skepticism, but that purely comes on the grounds of not pursuing what I... I'm not, I'm not actively pursuing seeking after more. Mm. Um, and so therefore, the, that's where the skepticism is because I can't even be too sure of myself. I know that yeah. I'm found. The way I, I have rest and assurance that I'm found in Christ. But... Um, I can't necessarily at this point in time trust. I mean, I know enough to be able to discern and, uh, you know, the life around me and stuff. But it's in order to properly speak with, speak with clarity in a way that brings, you know, you know, um, liberation for even the listeners, for so, so to speak, is it mm. can only often come from someone who's active in what they believe. <laughs> Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm active in it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, <laughs> again, it's like, yeah. So that, that skepticism of the intuition, the intuition comes from the body. The body is a, you, maybe you would say an earthly thing. It has its sort of earthly desires. Sorry, I didn't hear that last part. Uh, so your skepticism of intuition, if, if that's how we're describing it, if that's okay with you. Um. Or, or let's say skepticism of bodily sensations. Is that because the body is leading itself to wanting more, to wanting sort of earthly things? As you I might, just know that you when you're say. not in the momentum of the things you believe, you're more easily influenced by the things that are uh, contrary to that, which, yes, you know, it, it's it, the proof of that is in just the way the construct of the body is. Like if you don't move, you decay. And, and, you know, if you're active, you, your heart constantly pumps and, and keeps the blood flowing through, you know, through your muscles. Um, and for me, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm not, um, I'm, see, this, this is an area that I haven't, I haven't given enough thought to, to explore and proper articulate. Uh, and, and so I'm, I apologize to the listeners that might want to further know or explore um but i i just yeah i'm just um it's a tiring thing uh yeah it can be it can be tiring to 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 f further explore is to risk your reputation to risk um your loved ones to risk um yeah what what people think of you uh, and it's just taxing on the mind. It can be. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm not. To, that isn't to say that uh, it isn't impossible. I'm just at this point in time. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> um, but I definitely know. I take rest and assurance that there are definitely people out there that not only believe what I believe, but are active in it, and have probably been through tenfold what I have, and and are still you know active in it. Um. Yeah. Maybe, maybe to some degree, there's just a part of me that's being too hard on myself. I'm not too sure. Um, because I had a great Bible study last night. <laughs> so you know, I think my heart still cries out for more. 
And I know that, you know, that I believe that God hears that. Um, but yeah, there isn't all too much more I can say about it, I guess. Mm. Yeah. You spoke about liberation just then, which is a value that's also very close to my heart, is to be free, to be liberated, to have what could be described as free will, to have choice. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to hear the way that you described your initial interest in parkour, also very, very similar to how I came to be interested in it. This sort of openness, this lack of definition was really what, what drew me into it. Yeah. And do you see liberation as something we should perhaps all be striving for? I would say that there is a truth that I believe that how do I just how do I describe it? I believe the message of the Bible is that because one let me don't get me let me don't get me wrong by by saying this I don't I'm not afraid of death, but I would be a fool not to if you if you knew that death was a choice, the posture of your life would be very different. The way that you move through tomorrow would be very different if you knew that you're you partaking in the reality of life as a permeating truth over the concept of death as an as an inevitability um, would very much change how you move. And for me, what I would say sort of restricts my ability, or what 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 um, quenches the flame, or, or within me is just the dislike of being I don't know the the not be, being misunderstood that's always been uh, a struggle since since school which is which has made appearances on numerous occasions in the recent years um, but just just being misunderstood it just sucks to be misunderstood <laughs> I feel you and uh, it's, again it's tiring um, but yeah I think liberation uh, I think that the actual good, in order for the Bible to be good news that anyone can relate to, you know, it's good news to believe that, that it's good news if it's true that death has been defeated, as it's described in the Bible. You know that that Jesus literally has the keys, right? It's like, like if we, you know, but then there's a lot theologically in that that is is debatable within the church. I've often found that the the biggest, don't get me wrong, rejection within the community of parkour is far less like effective than you know than that friction within the church, um, especially when at first you believed that that was a safe place to make mistakes or to fall. And and you know I'm, I can't. How do I say it? Maybe there are brothers and sisters that I can communicate with and. Um, have really profound conversations with and I can potentially just look at my situation as being like a kid throwing a hissy fit because he didn't get his sweets you know what I mean as, at this point in my life but um, yeah no I don't know I think um, I think there's a lot of theology that we've that were um, that needs to be rethought. where you place your mind within within your the construct of the scripture and how it's describing life and transcendent life is a determining factor as to 
fire that enables you to move where you place your perspective on on what the bible says for me is a, is a big determining factor as to what drives a person and um to my knowledge a lot of what i currently believe um isn't something that i would imagine a lot of other christians believe uh, agree on <laughs> so mm. yeah and that's your scientific perspective of what you've experimented with uh, and, and, and come, um, to, come to see. Yeah, it's hard to say because, yeah, it's, it's, I, I definitely think there's a lot rooted in me in my journey of discovery in the past five years. There's a lot rooted in me that was an ungodly influence. like it, And I would say it comes a lot from uh, a belief a yin yang kind of belief of like a balance of the force which every single movie we watch every single you know it's always yeah. we're suckers for good versus evil mm. when when i would i would say the reality of the situation is that there is no that, that li- literally a light has been switched on and the, and when a light switched on you can't you can't reverse that effect you, you know it just is what it is you turn the light on the darkness is gone it's like and and but we're suckers for you know one versus the other kind of thing, you know what I mean? Um, can, can I summarise that, that uh, what I'm hearing there? And again, as you said, I can only hear um, of, what, of, of what you say that kind of resonates from me, but there's um, there's this idea of, of taking the maybe darker parts of oneself and shining a light onto them and not necessarily rejecting them, but observing them and realizing that that's also part of who you are that seems to hold a lot of power, particularly in being able to see other people, to have this sense of um, first recognizing the whole of oneself. Yeah, don't get me wrong, power, transcendent power is achievable. And But by, by power, I think I mean something that allows you to see further or to go further or to help people more. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a dirty word yeah does that does that relate to your perspective or, or not so much I don't know I think there's a lot of depth and a lot of complexity in what in the realm of where we're exploring right now that causes yeah. me to often hesitate to I'd rather not say anything than attempt to because I feel like you I don't know it's like I've just just from what I've learned from Paul 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 would say in the scripture that you know it's better to speak a few words of instruction simple words of instruction or you know of impartation than a, than a, a thousand words in a foreign tongue um, and be completely misunderstood and so I, I don't know I kind of as much as I'd love to explore that area I don't know it's it's uh, the the attempt what I've discovered about my mind is that um, it can bounce really quickly and, I, and there's a lot of fragmented pieces and I'm bouncing from um, but there's nothing tangible to, to to journey with people in that in that way so I don't know I feel um, yeah it, it, uh, you can end up rambling and just like it all you know it all comes out yeah um, but also maybe a lot of my response or lack of response can just be not being able to understand the root of where your question comes from and and maybe I'm hearing something but responding yes to you know in a in a yeah 
in a way that it's just often described like that in the scripture. Again, Paul Paul pointed out that um, if you're speaking in the language of the angels, like you're misunderstood unless there's someone there to interpret what you're saying to the person you're speaking to. And so it's like there are people that can interpret those words, and then you know. And so I just feel like, yeah, like you, otherwise you just become. That that whole area is really fascinating in itself. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it, 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 again, to give a bit of background, um, uh, I, I feel that when we're communic when we're speaking, I'm often running subtitles to what you say to try and understand it in my language, the, the, the things that I understand. And a lot of the time, I feel I'm able to do this quite successfully. And then sometimes you throw a curveball, and I'm just blown away and, and so interested by what you mean. So when you say something like the language of the angels, this is particularly interesting for me because I, I don't have a, a sense of what that means at, at really any, any level. Um, you, you don't have to, to speak more about that, but I'm, I would be curious to hear if you have some sense of this. But if that's not something you'd like to speak about here, that's, maybe it's not the time. Yeah, I just don't understand the question. <laughs> sure. So the question is, when you say the la- language of the angels, is that the phrase you used? What what is that? Uh, what does that mean? Um, uh, it's a it's a sensitive kind of. It depends on on the root cause of like where the question comes from that enables for this again because I yeah I can say a bunch of stuff but I'm also aware that this the stuff that I've received in me that I have to be careful as to how I. Yeah. Um, because we're yeah I don't know like yeah it's it's yeah it's a tricky one <laughs> yeah cool let's move on yep so there's one maybe kind of final question actually two things that, yeah let's let's start with this one so I'm I'm quite a cognitive thinking person I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in my in my head and I've run up against the limitations of this many many times of the injury that you you mentioned earlier that you made reference to was in my mind the result of me being in my head and not being in my body and not listening to the the, the sounds that my body was making being able to interpret those something that I've I, I, I think it's a biblical phrase or a biblical idea of uh, uh, like what do children know that scholars don't, mm. that scholars and academics don't know? Uh, could you speak to Could you speak to this? Yeah, that's that's leading back to the reason why I couldn't really answer the previous question because I feel mm. I don't have the authority to speak in that area mm. um, because, or if I do, I'm aware that there are people that want that as well they want that understanding but it's not from a place of relationship it's a it's from a place of again dissection being able to just yeah. understand it and then utilize what what's been what's been received from that for the brain and the mind or whatever it's then utilizing that and and you know i i find that um uh you know jesus describes it doesn't he in the bible he says that the kingdom of god belongs to the little children um and that he's, you know, he's concealed himself from like the learned and the wise. Um, 
uh, it's actually I think it's proverbs. That's a lot of that sort of stuff in relation to it's all about wisdom and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a it's it's a that's the place. Let's put it this way: that's the place where greater freedom is, and. Jesus, funny enough, Jesus describes that exact place. He describes it as a sheep pen. He says that um, my sheep know my voice. They know when to come in and when to go out. And it's describing, it's describing, you know, it could be God's throne room or whatever, right? And he's describing that he's the shepherd of the sheep pen. So he's describing this this uh, this pen with a you know, and sheep are very vulnerable, right, to attack and stuff, and you know. Um, and they, you know, innocently just graze the field and, you know, he tends to them and looks after them. And this is the depiction of, like, his people or, or the children of God, so to speak. Because I, I think that's what a lot of this is about, isn't it? You know, I think um, this is definitely a can of, like, opening the can of worms. Like, um, even the grounding of our conversation is purely dictated on or based on how we consider ourselves through what we've been told through history and our origin and the proofs of various things that that really put a restriction on what we can and can't talk about i guess um but i do know that i yeah i've experienced that sheep pen i've been i've been in in and out multiple times i know that i have confidence going into that place and drawing from it because I believe Jesus is the door that, you know, um, that I, I go through to access that place. And, but Jesus also, he says, you know, my sheep, they know my voice, they know when to come in and they know when to go out. Um, he says, there are also robbers and thieves, uh, people that climb over the fence. And, uh, yeah, and so he describes them as robbers and thieves. Um, and like, yeah, I, I think that, that's where my kind of, I would say my current perspective on life is that in order for, oh, that's a, again, tricky one. You've got to be careful because you, you're an advocate for what it is you believe, right? You're an advocate for, uh, you're a vessel for what you've come into an awareness of and you've, you've, you've you, you're, I would say you're actively partaking in, uh, I don't know, like protecting that place. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So I just know that there's the, that space that where where I would happily discuss that space with you in in person. Yes. Um, yeah. And. But you may be cautious of saying exactly what it is that you're advocating for. No, I just think that there's, a, there's that if the if the sheep feel safe to eat, they will. Um, yeah. And but when they're threatened, they'll run into the safety of the shepherd, right? Mm. And so the illusion that I think that that we'd be fools to think that man isn't already aware of the reality of, of, of the sheep pen and, and, and its existence. And it also just comes partially from the fall. And again, this now we're leaning more on my narrative, the narrative that drives my, the construct of my thinking in life. Mm. Um, uh, that 
there are those that know God exists. Um, but and and I would I'd also go as far as to say the greatest lie is the illusion that God doesn't right is the, is the, is the, is what we're told that God doesn't exist when um, when those who are telling us that actually do know that He does and because they don't have access to the sheep pen they're creating an environment that or they they create an environment that enables everyone to feel safe but in actual fact you know yeah see this it's it's difficult now I'm going into like all sorts of to, to take one, I'm, I'm, I'm following up to a point. There's maybe a little bit of, let's take a little step back and then sure. uh, see if we want to continue going forward. So the image that I have is this space, which is connected to wh what you understand as, as God or to God, I just say. Mm -hmm. And the way to get into this space is through, through Jesus uh, again, it's easier for me to speak in this language by say, by kind of qualifying it, yeah. saying things like the idea of Jesus. Well, so you, you say through like, Jesus. I, I see Jesus is the door, but um, yeah. it says the kingdom of God belongs to children. Yeah, and 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 so Jesus has given us a an insight there into those that have access to that space. Right, through his behavior, through his codes, the things that were driving his behavior. Well, or his way of being behaviours may be a, a kids, word. kids have an interaction with with God in a way that uh, kids interact in, in, in and around life in a way that we don't yeah and with a kind of openness not necessarily just open but the, the yeah the, just the general perspective on things is very different than what we've what we begin to learn as we mm. grow into the world basically um, mm. I've described it as kind of falling from God like that could be the that that could be where the 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 story of Adam and Eve can be applicable and just as relevant as it was told right uh, to each and every individual is that I, I I I think that we fall from God in as we as we go into the world and we we um, start exploring and start learning and stuff I think but it's like yeah I don't know um, could you, could you describe that quality that children have that perhaps enables them to get into the, into the kingdom or to be this, this. Um, you'd have to you'd have to read what the way that Jesus describes them because <laughs> mm. I think he, he you know gives an accurate depiction of like mm -hmm. yeah I don't know just there's, there's just there's just so much to that really Mm -hmm. Rather than one particular thing. One particular thing. Um, but yeah, I guess I know. Like, yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah, and then there's a risk of if you say, "Oh, it's this quality," then we say, "Oh, okay, it's this amazing quality," and we'll just put all, all yeah, of our yeah. attention. Yeah, yeah, and then that's what it all becomes about. But yeah, it's yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's many layers to that really that I can't. Right. I can't. I'd rather. Yeah, I can't actually. Yeah. Yeah. In in this case, could you recommend uh, something to follow, like a, a thread? If you imagine a thread to pull to understand this deeper, what what thread would that be? Um. Yeah. It's just a very strange place. It's hard. It's hard to like. I would. I don't know. I guess you'd have to rephrase, or, or I don't know, like maybe. Yeah. 
because I'm, I'm I do it again. I'm a lot, a lot. As you know, even from our previous discussions, a lot of what comes out of me when it flows, it's often, it's often because of the motive of the question and where it comes from. Yeah. And often when the confusion sets in and and or the inability to fully articulate it again, it's usually mm. you you bear in mind like. Um, it's described in the Bible that when two or three gather in his name, he's there in the midst. So it's like, ultimately, we acknowledge when we're doing Bible studies that it's the spirit that leads us into into revelation. It's mm. the spirit that leads us into 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 knowing things that we previously didn't know. Um, and, and yeah, it's like, you know, th- there's a real sense in me to want to give you what you're seeking after. Um, but it can also be very... Diff- it can all. I, I I can also sense when I'm unable to fully articulate my words or put it together that it's that it's more asking me as opposed to what where I draw that source from. You know what I mean? And so um, it becomes as, it becomes hard. Go, go. It becomes hard to give an answer as though it's from myself. Do you know what I mean? If it's myself being seen as the one that provides that answer. Do you know what I mean like? Yes. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense to me. Your reluctance to answer certain questions for me is such a sign of sincerity. So I, I take this as a very positive thing. Yeah. Um, that you're cautious to answer things in a, a specific way or something like this. It's to me, it's a sign that. Your, um... It's fascinating though because when I'm doing this in a biblical setting, yeah, what's really fascinating is that we are uh, the per- when we're communicating with one another, it's not just the one person who's exploring and asking questions, and we're yeah. looking into it together. But equally, both are growing in 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 what they're discovering because they they both realise that they're not the source of what's being brought out, but they are merely a vessel for that truth that manifests. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's often for me one of the most beautiful things. Again, and it comes down to the framework of your mind and how you perceive self in relationship with the people you're interacting with. I often find that yeah. without uh, without a like when I'm speaking to another fellow like brother of the faith or whatever, we we collectively see this person between us. We, we, we acknowledge this this entity, this person, Jesus between us, and that enables us to not only be preserved in our own in our own mind, but also to draw from the space uh, greater knowing or greater, you know what I mean. And um, and I find that often what happens is without that framework, you end up speaking into someone for what you ideally would want to receive in return and it's it's what jesus would would, would describe as trespassing um uh, he uh, you know when you that famous prayer right um lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil you know what i mean forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us so the trespass for me is like and we, it happens daily you know we all trespass against one another in, in the things that we do unless from what I found that if we're meditating on the word of God and we're actually creating space for the Holy Spirit to kind of come and, and manifest, um, it, 
drawing from that well enables us to remain in a constant state of um, knowing how to navigate through life, drawing and, and getting your daily bread, as Jesus described, without trespassing into the person that you're connecting with or communicating with. Do you know what I mean? A, so a friend a, of mine described this, just to be sure that we're on the same page, described this as, um, uh, or sh- showed me a biblical quote that I can't remember, but was something like when you're looking into someone's eyes, you're often just looking into a mirror in the same way that you're, you're looking for your own reflection. You're not trying to look at them very, very often we're so, so for, I, I know this very well in myself. If I'm walking down the street, say, and I'm feeling self-conscious, I'm looking at someone, mm-hmm. but I'm not looking at them. I'm looking for how they respond to looking at me. Yeah, sure. So well, that's not, kind of that's kind of what I was talking about in relation to the garden. It's like it's no longer, mm. it's no longer like um, there's an awareness when you're in communication with someone of a, of a, uh, of the same mindset and belief in Jesus that you are aware of each other and Him in the midst of in the midst of the both of you, and and there's this mutual. Uh, uh, experience of of and relatability to this dependency on this something else, and 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 therefore it it, it creates the opposite effect of the mirror kind of like you looking in someone's get and you, to get back. It's like um, it, it's a it is it it's like a polarity shift. Do you see what I'm trying to say? It's like a um, it's the missing link in the equation that I think is is the perpetuate per, perpetuating theme of of humanity. Um, is that we're all folding into one another, you know, like black holes, like black, like like stars that have imploded on themselves, and we're all in, we're all folding into one mm. and uh, and actually by having the ha, enabling your mind to embrace this, you know, this 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 person or the identity of something is actually reversing that very thing. Um, and it's creating the opposite effect because you're allowing that life to manifest and it's actually bringing it's 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 the it is the eureka kind of equation that um i think all of humanity is trying to seek i mean everything we're all trying to, we're all seeking it every one of us all whether you're consciously aware of it or not we're all seeking after it you've you know proof of that would be even the people tuning and listen listening for this long is evidence that you know we're all seeking you know um I don't think that journey stops because of my faith in Jesus. If, if anything, the, it increases the curiosity, you know, uh, and actually the world, the, the playground becomes way bigger than it was before. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely ingrained in us to, 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 you know, this sense of, 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 a, of there being a fall and this need to get back to a, this, a, this, this instinctive feeling of an original state that we're looking to get back to. Um, and there are all, I would also, and this is what I meant before, that may sound slightly confusing. There are also people that know that God exists, but but don't have any desire for a relationship. And they know that, and and the, yeah, I can't speak to you. I, I'm not in a place to judge and I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to speak too much into that really. But I could, that's as far as I can say with that. But yeah, there are people that know that he exists, but don't actually acknowledge him. And um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to have to listen back to this last part about seeking in particular, uh, what we're all collectively seeking. You see with yoga, for example, there's this explosion of people practicing yoga. And to me, it's a sign of... Here's a vessel that we can maybe reach some kind of spiritual connection with. Mm -hmm. My perspective is that it's very often an empty vessel and that there are deeper, deeper vessels. I don't know what those are. But it does seem that we're all seeking something. Mm-hmm. C- could you speak, I know you, you spoke a little bit to this, but could you speak to what you feel we are seeking? Um, uh, so it says, like in the scripture, it says that God has set eternity in the heart of every man. So that's not just those that believe, but those that are yet to understand or don't have a belief specifically in in God or whatever but nonetheless there's there's this um, there's this cavern in the heart that um, we long to fill and um, yeah I don't know I think I just know just based on my my relationship with the Lord and like and my journey up until this point that I've experienced overflowing richness oozing out of my heart that I'd never ever experienced before and it's described Jesus describes it as a as a well that never runs dry right um when he's speaking to the woman uh, at the well who's like drawing water and stuff um and yeah he describes basically this water that just never runs dry basically and so um and the amazing thing is that's just always available. It's like it's never, you know, that water. And, and it's funny how we, we choose to settle for less than than what is, you know. It's 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 it's, it's kind of saddening, really, that we choose to settle for less than what, we're, what we are, uh, you know. It's it's a gift and it has to be received, right? Like you have to you have to want to receive it as a gift in order to experience life and life in the full. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like it's, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the way that I, the way that I see that with your interest in, say, in lining that I see, you mentioned that you were in this before parkour, which I didn't know, but your, um, you seem to have this kind of thirst for, uh, experience in a sense, going to new things. Um, I would to... say I would say it's more of a distraction, and it goes back to what I was okay. saying before. I don't see myself being active in my walk with God, um, and yeah, I think mm. it, it, it for me it's more of just like, well, what can I do that does make sense right now? Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I'm at uh, in my life. I'm doing just the things that make sense, but it's, it you know it doesn't mean that I don't go to bed at night and get this sinking feeling and realize you know that I still it's still the debt you know the spirit within me kind of crying out and longing for more um knowing that there is and it's like mm. um but it has to be something i want and to choose like i have to choose to you know and so i don't know it's just it's it's you know why would you not want to choose the more that's the that's the ultimate question that i that's the question you know that i ponder over why would i not want more um mm. yeah <laughs> so there's one one last question that I'd like to 
uh, float by you. Yeah. And I, I got this question through illicit means because it was in a talk that you did mm-hmm. that was something you apparently asked not to be uploaded, but the guy, okay. someone filmed it and uploaded it. <laughs> but I went through this talk. And one of the things that you spoke about there was play as service. Play it. Uh, Play as service. As service. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you still resonate with this. For, for me, this resonated. Um, but yeah, d- does that still make sense to you? Is that still something you believe in? Um, well, depends on the context of like what, what it was at the time that I was saying or what it was based yeah. around, which I ca- actually can't remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of, of uh, context here. So... Um, out training with a friend recently. Mm. A woman walked past us and she had this posture that to me conveyed a a deep kind of insularity and unhappiness. And my, my sense is that we, as we kind of alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, we're communicating a lot, not just through our words, but also through our posture and how we hold ourselves. And there's a lot of information within this. Yeah. And so for me, the idea of play as service makes sense because it's through experiencing joy in oneself, there is the possibility of encouraging this in, in others. So for me, I feel that it's, it's not a selfish or immature thing to move or to, to have fun. And this is something that's kind of sure, often sure. seemed to be the case. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think there can be a danger in that as well. Um, and again, it's more of the emphasis on the movement than it is the reason why there is joy. Where does the joy come from that root? room you know not only enables the person to arrive at you but to be met by someone else you know where, where's that source come from and i think that's often what i find a lot easier for me is to be able to point out that the 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 source of my joy is 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 in my relationship with god do you know what I mean um specifically jesus it's like um and i think if if you can't enable someone to arrive at that conclusion they can't see anything else other than you being the source of that which you're, which is ex- being expressed through your body, yeah. right? And I think that um, when we put our trust in just, I don't know, like the person is the source of, of that joy, it's like, and then things can get distorted very quickly, I guess. Yes, um, I can see that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, cool so yeah we're, we're, we're about two hours deep which is I'm sure we could go could go deeper but um, yeah. maybe this is a good place to, to, to leave it are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to give um, yeah just for I guess for the listeners I just uh, find it very, you know maybe 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 it's not the right perspective but maybe some people I, I just I find it very commendable not commendable what's the word I'm trying to say again for the viewers listening that yeah just your approach uh besides maybe just besides podcast but just as a as the person that I've known you who's 
inquisitive and you know curious and putting things to the test that I think that uh, yeah that, um, based on what I observe that's that a very good approach I think um, just don't give up on asking questions and don't you know I think that's one thing that kids do that adults don't I think we we become so beat down by life that we we reach a point where we yeah we no longer have that curiosity and and belief in in something more right so i think um yeah just putting things to the test like I, that, that's that's all i can i mean I, you know i see that in yourself I, I used to do that myself like i used to uh ask questions i used to push buttons and um yeah, I just encourage anyone else who's listening to, yeah. That, that, funny enough, that's actually one thing that is, you know, in the Bible. Um, in all, in all, many occasions, I, if I remember rightly, this is what it says, like this, you never put God to the test, but it's like, but there is one time where it says, like, test me in this. And it's just like, what? Like that one time? It's like, you know, um, like seek, you know what I mean? And, and not, you know, if you knock, the door will be open to you sort of thing. So it's like, I think, um, yeah, if you really are like, it's, it's, it's like exploring rooftops and exploring movement in parkour. Um, maybe if anyone can get from this conversation, if, if anything they can take away from this conversation is, is this broadened awareness as a result of listening of this, uh, of the, the city landscape of the mind as well, you know, and the, yeah, the old, the, the many places that you can explore in that, in that way. And yeah, so yeah, I'd encourage people to do that. Keep exploring. Yeah, keep exploring. <laughs> yeah. Great. Man, speaking, thank you so much. Speaking that over myself. <laughs> say, say again. I said I'm speaking that over myself. You're right, I can, yeah, I can, yeah, yeah. I can hear, I can hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for for taking the risk, in a sense, to come and and have this conversation and to step out of that. Yeah, it's uh, been cool, man. It's out good. of that space. Into always, always good to, yeah, always good to talk with you, man. But even more so in person. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Cool well, beans. I'll uh, I'll see you in Switzerland or. Uh, yeah, yeah. London. You're most welcome. Most welcome. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. Awesome, bro. Great. Bless you, man. Brother.